0: Okay, Jessica, real quick, just give the audience an idea what Conjuring the Witch is about.
1: Uh, So Jurassic Park, I I loved it when I saw it, because I have always loved dinosaurs.
0: Oh, no. Hey, I was talking about, um, we want to know what Conjuring the Witch is about, not Jurassic Park.
1: But seeing them for the first time, like seeing those little dinosaurs... It was so magic, and it's never lost that magic. So to see that first Jurassic Park and that moment where Grant takes off his glasses and then the jaws drop and then they span up and then the music goes, you know, all of that is so fucking cool, I love it.
0: Jessica, just tell us about Conjuring the Witch.
1: So I have this very idea and it's very based in reality and it's real people doing things, but also what if the woods were haunted? So that, that's my, uh, that's my synopsis for the book. I did it.
0: Available May 2nd, pre-order the paperback on Ghoulish's website, and you can get a signed book plate, I believe. Double check, go to the website. And so the thing that I was going to start out by talking about was that um, I Fi- I figured like I had to honor your, 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 po- your background of podcasting by, um, because we're going to be talking about books and I'm having a beer. So nice. little books, little booze. Little, books, to, little booze. I'm having
1: a beer too. So. Set
0: the- <laughs> well, cheers. Cheers, um,
1: We're all set tonight.
0: So starting out talking about, um, you in general, um, you got the new haircut. It's ostensibly for going to the Ghoulish Book Festival. So well, before we dive into the book, let's just talk about that a little bit, because that's a little bit of a journey for you. You're going from Kentucky, right? You live in Kentucky. So are you driving? Are you flying? What's going on?
1: Um, I am flying. Um, We went, or I went last year to, this is the second Ghoulish Book Festival. So I went last year Um, And it was amazing. It was such a fun, community-driven event. It feels like you're home with a lot of people. It's a really wonderful, cool time. So I knew... I wanted to go back, and when Max and I were talking about the new book coming out, he was like, maybe we can make it coincide with the festival somehow, and I was like, it's possible if you can, I don't know, I already wrote it, so, so that was like, okay, this, this is a thing, I've got something to promote with them, I'd love to be there again, absolutely excited, but yeah, we're taking a little flight, I'm bringing my husband with me this year so I can have a hype man, and all that kind of thing, but.
0: the 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 table guy or whatever like selling the books I need
1: I need my (laughs) table guy there
0: (laughs) um are you doing anything like panels or readings or anything or are Mm -hmm. you just going as you are okay
1: yeah Yeah. I'm gonna be doing a reading um I'm reading from Conjuring the Witch which I actually I read from that last year before it was even finished I just kind of wanted an audience to hear what I had done so far to get their reaction so I've already kind of done that I'm going to read a different part this year and then I'm doing um, a couple panels one on witches uh, surprise surprise and one on dysfunctional families which is another thing that I'm just really good at so
0: (laughs) good at or knowledgeable about
1: (laughs) knowledgeable of okay (laughs) I'd like to think I've turned a page on that but yeah (laughs)
0: um cool um have you done well did you do did you do stuff last year as well did you panel or read or stuff
1: yeah i did a reading last year like i said i read from the
0: oh, book duh, that wasn't that, published
1: yeah. yet no that's fine <clears throat> but i last year my reading was with laurel hightower okay. and this year my reading is also with laurel hightower because she is also from kentucky and i feel like that's how we got grouped together but it's like perfect it, it's such a wonderful amazing time to be able to to share that space with her for a few minutes and yeah last year I did panels on crime in horror. I actually moderated that one and I prepared zero for it. I didn't think <laughs> of it I didn't think of it as being something I should prepare for so other people were talking about moderating and they had notes and everything written out and I was like oh, man, I should have done that. That seems like I would need to have questions. So John Foster was there. I don't know if you know John. But I he believe was, so, yeah. He was like, you can borrow my notes. I have tons of notes. I'll just share with you on the panel. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> so I wasn't asked to moderate this year.
0: It could be, could be a coincidence. <laughs> it could be a coincidence.
1: I'm going to tell you, I've got a little bit of a head cold today. So if I have
0: to do it, <coughs> sorry, <laughs> but braving
1: okay. through it.
0: Well, I appreciate, I appreciate you, you. We could have rescheduled, but I appreciate you no. sticking it out. No, um, I really needed to do this. Yeah. So, um, wait, I had another thought about, um, I had another thought about cons and stuff. So, all right. So you've done the Ghoulish Books Festival last year, this year. Have you done other stuff? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna add on. Um, and I don't know where I got this from, but you identify pretty solidly as a horror author. But like, I, my mind also kind of associates you with crime. So I'm wondering if like there was any kind of crime stuff that you've done no. in the past as well. No. Uh, uh,
1: yeah, no. I really haven't done a whole lot. I went to um, an AWP when it was in Minneapolis. And that was a million years ago. And at that time, I wasn't even doing horror. I w- I did a reading for *Menacing Hedge*, um, an mm-hmm. off-site reading with them, and it was just literary. It was okay. not a horror thing at all. Um, I kind of re- refound my roots in horror the last few years.
0: Maybe uh, I'm maybe I'm associating you with David James Keaton too much because he's pretty solidly maybe.
1: he's a, in that. He's my and I know
0: you guys are buddies. Yeah, so yeah. But sorry to interrupt.
1: No, that's okay. (laughs) Question answered. No, I have not done a whole lot of festivals. Kind of. The first book, Antioch, came out in 2020. And that was a bummer time to have your first book released.
0: Yeah, because it was like the fall (laughs) of 2020, right? Something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, October
1: 2020. Everything's shut down. Nobody wants to see my shining face in person. So... I just did not do a whole lot for it. Really, the Ghoulish festival last year was kind of my first big hurrah even for Antioch, even though it was a couple of years old at that point. But yeah, Things have started now.
0: <laughs> that, yeah, I, I gotta tell you, um, because I obviously was doing the podcast during um, the pandemic. and one of the big topics was just even with big names like uh, we had Max Brooks on. And, like, talking to him about, like, pivoting and, and promoting during a pandemic and stuff. And, yeah, that was – and I think that what people ended up – what ended up being helpful for people was, like, just doing virtual, like, um, yeah virtual events um, through libraries and bookstores and stuff like that. Um, but, like, yeah um, – not the best timing for you. (laughs) That's, that's, that's unfortunate.
1: (laughs) Yeah. had no idea that that was what, what was going to happen when I signed that contract, but you know, it all worked out for the best. It was all good. And
0: yeah, I I I, feel like though perpetual publishing, perpetual motion machine publishing or ghoulish, whatever I'm assuming, uh, did he just change the name of the company? But anyway, um, yeah, I think so. (laughs) like subtly, not like with an announcement or like a press release. It just suddenly, you know, is a different name. But um I feel like they Max seems like he's pretty good at like really, you know, he's not the type of small press that just like publishes a thing and then like moves on to the next thing and doesn't have time to talk about it. Like he still seems like he's showing enthu- like he almost has like a like a fan enthusiasm for the stuff that he's putting out. It feels like is that yeah. is that your experience?
1: Oh, Max is the greatest and I could not have asked for a better publisher. Because I basically abuse him as if he's my agent, you know, (laughs) I'm like, well, good news. You've published my book. I don't know what to do about that now. And he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this thing. We're going to do this thing. And he'll set up all this stuff for me. And I'm like, thank God that I had somebody to kind of hold my hand through that because I had no idea. Um, But he has been. Great with all of that stuff. He's always down to talk about it. He wants to help me promote it. If I have an idea, he's like, "Yeah, that's a great idea," or "No, you shouldn't do that," or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he's ever told me not to do anything. But
0: yeah, it's hard to see him being like, of all of all the people that I've spoken to, it's it's hard to imagine him being like, "I don't know if that's a good idea," because he seems like he's (laughs) pretty open to most things. So.
1: <laughs> pretty much unless I was like, I think I should buy a bunch of my books and burn them. And he'd be like, mm, maybe not that one, but
0: yeah, that outside of sound, that, yeah.
1: he's, he's um, wonderful. And you hear like horror stories about some indie presses, you know, from, from your friends or whatever who got burned. And so I feel eternally grateful that I fell in with a really good press. And Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing was hard to say, but unfortunately, ghoulish with my accent sounds real dumb. Uh, And I tried to talk to him about that. He didn't care. I was like, I can't say ghoulish and sound normal. That's not good. (laughs) That's where we are.
0: (laughs) Well, and then, so another thing, I had heard him talk somewhere, or maybe it was when I was interviewing him. It all, it's all you know i'm in my mid 40s now so memory isn't what it used to be but i remember yeah. him like smartly saying things like he just does stuff like submits books to publishers weekly and stuff like that you know baseline promotion stuff to get books on the radar of of people that if you just relied on social media you know wouldn't wouldn't see it so he's got some like savvy as far as like that's that's concerned so when people get published through him I feel like, okay, at the at the very least so like he's published a couple of David James Keaton's things, I think. And like yeah. my impression was okay, he at least has someone who cares about the process. So that's good.
1: Yeah. It's
0: been yeah. good. Good. Well, obviously, because you're going to their festival and, and participating in it. So
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Um. <laughs> Here you you mentioned earlier the the panel and the not preparing and stuff like that. Uh-huh. I've kind of switched in my mind to like I don't have prepared questions and I used to prepare questions all the time when I would interview authors and and I feel like I'm kind of going more on just um, the feeling of the tone of, of the conversation and so um, this the the benefit of this is I can edit whatever I want to so I might even edit this explanation out but um I. I want to talk about, obviously, Conjuring the Witch, because that's what you're here, and that's what you primarily need to promote. Um, So, jumping into that book, Conjuring the Witch uh, is your second book, and um, it's the first one I've read. I bought Antioch. It's right there. Um, Yeah. But I bought it at a time where I was going through kind of a cancer battle, so... It wasn't as easy to. (laughs) So, uh, regrettably, I can't even
1: give you shit now. I know. Well, that's why I I get
0: to drop the cancer card whenever I want to. And it's like one of the. It's unassailable. Um, But so, Countering the Witch is the first thing I've read of yours. And and I'd always known uh, of you as um, someone in the world of books in various ways. Um, So, it was really nice to kind of get to know you and, and see your voice as a writer and everything. Um, and, uh, I I don't know, you probably saw on social media, I posted that I was going to be talking about this book soon. And one of the things, so I'm just jumping right into themes because like, this is one of the things I was most excited about. Um, I said, it's, it's fun that I read this so soon after Cassandra Cause the salt goes heavy because one of the themes in that book was, um, like there's even a line in her book that says like, it's not a bad thing to be a monster or something like that. Yeah, And the whole thing about that is like um, and we can we can shy away from spoilers as much as you want to. So but one of the themes, I think one of my favorite themes, there's a few things um, that I want to talk about. But one of my favorite kind of themes or feels or tones of the book was the whole idea that like we, you know, sometimes people do monstrous things, but we don't often look at what the circumstances were to get them to that monstrous place and that's something that you explore a little bit so um a lot maybe i guess but anyway yeah what um what where did that come from and was that kind of like one of the driving parts of wanting to to tell this story or was that something that just fit into the overall kind of like you know thing that you were doing
1: um Yeah, yeah, that was kind of something that I want to explore. Something I like in what what I consume is you see a character and through their whole arc, like by the end of the story, they're awful. They're they're a horrible person, but at the beginning they're not, and it's just baby steps the whole way there to where you can say, "Well, I would see myself doing this," or "I would see myself doing this," and then. But you can't start at that horrible thing because nobody sees themselves. Nobody sees themselves as the villain. Nobody sees themselves as this is that awful thing. So you have to bring the audience to that point where they can say, "Okay, yep, yep, I'm there. I'm with you. I get it. Yeah. I understand how we made it to this point." Um, yeah.
0: So, um, yeah, and you said that that's something that you that you like in other stories. Are there any like? Uh, inspirations or, or other, I guess, books or movies or anything that you were thinking about with that part of it or any part of, of the book, not necessarily just that theme?
1: It's not necessarily that theme. Um, and we put this, so the book by Jack Jims um, in the grip of it or the grip of it, I think. Oh
0: yeah, it's down here somewhere.
1: Okay, anyway. uh, <laughs> There was such a quiet unsettlingness to that book when I read it. And it's been years now since I read it. But that was something I was like, man, to to do that, that's something kind of special just to make you go ooh in your chair a little bit. So that was something I kind of kept in mind, not necessarily. um with the theme of the book, but just the idea of how to make somebody feel uncomfortable in their home.
0: (laughs) Like the, the effect that it had on you. Yes.
1: Yeah. That
0: nice. Yeah. um, I, I own it, but haven't read it. And like, honestly, that's, that's the curse of loving books is like, there's often books that you've, but she did a reading um, that I hosted one time and uh, was a lovely person and uh, really enjoyed her stuff. I just, and I bought, she has another book that just came out too, and I bought that. So I have two of her books, but I haven't read either of them. So
1: I have um, a three. I've read two, and I'm in the middle of a third one. So yeah. yeah, She's a really wonderful, highly recommended. If anybody's looking for a book recommendation <laughs> for me,
0: <laughs> nice. The grip of it, yeah, sounded like it was some really, really creepy stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so that kind of. So I guess I, we could say so. Tone is is something that stood out for me in this book, like the way the um, things aren't right, kind of make you feel was something that I was feeling. And um, I guess my mind goes to, I would assume like if I were just going to tell someone what I thought you were doing, um, having the location be what it was would, would be a factor in that. Um, And then having religion be a factor were, were things that I would think were, not necessary, but helpful to, to setting the kind of tone that, that the book pulled off. So like, did you start out with those things in mind or like, was, and, and well, let's focus on location first. Was the location and the setting and something important to you or did it just kind of fit with what, what kind of story you needed to tell?
1: No, very much so. Yeah. Um, So it's, I grew up in a small town uh, and on, on a farm. (laughs) And so uh, the Conjuring the Witch is set in the town of Lillan, which is make-believe, but it's a small farm-based sort of town. Everybody knows each other. There might be one stoplight. Um, My town has two stoplights now, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) Uh, So that was something that, yeah, was important to me because it's what I know, but it's also deeply spooky to be out and there's nothing around you. Um, there, there's danger in a city because there's so much there and you can't see everything. Um, but I feel like in a small town or an isolated area, or you're out in a, the cornfield, uh, things, things are there that you can't necessarily see. It's, it's that trick that your eyes play on you in the dark. And so a lot of the setting for the book was just being in my own backyard and staring into the dark and, thinking about what would be creepiest to happen to me.
0: <laughs> that Yes. And that definitely came across. And so like the first thing that I think of too, um, so they are on like um, the husband's family's farm and like he's taken over the farm. And, and so it is definitely very rural. Um, and that's one of those things that like, for me, and I'm, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a, scared person you know and I think that people who are scared of things kind of gravitate toward horror sometimes Mm -hmm. or a lot um the first thing I think of like the thing like the terror could be like a light switch like if there's daylight I'm like at least I can see what's going on but the moment it's dark
1: it's like (laughs) yeah
0: there could be 30 elephants within a 100 feet of me and I'd never know it and that's like you just don't know like there could you know you don't know what it could be running away from something in the middle of a field or, or a forest or something could be fatal. It could be, yeah. you know, life threatening. So nature itself is just set to work against you. So I think, yeah, that's, that definitely helps with the, the tone for the book.
1: I am clumsy uh, in the broad daylight, so if I'm trying to walk through the woods or a field or anything like that in the middle of the night, forget it. I'm going to fall down. I'm going to break my legs. So <laughs> that's yes, you're absolutely right. That's what horror is made for. Those moments where you can't trust your senses.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So, all right. So I was at least right about the setting being important for like the tone of the book. Um. I also kind of had a feeling that it was, it was drawing from your personal experience. Um, are you, but you're not living where you grew up, right? Are you?
1: Yeah, I am. Oh. Not in the, not in the exact same spot, but the same town.
0: Oh, okay. I don't know. So religion definitely plays a part in this too, mm-hmm. Um and, and I feel like in storytelling that there's different ways you can to depict a religion. You can depict religion as supernatural and spooky itself. Or you can depict it as, like, good, I guess. You know, probably not in a horror story. That's one way to go. Um, <laughs> you could. Um, or you can depict it as, like, uh, kind of like a system that grinds you down or, or a system that works against you. Um, my reading of it was, it was more like the system thing than like the supernatural spooky thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, how, what for you was important about the religion aspect? Was it just because it was like a small town operation thing, or was it important that the church was part of it?
1: Yeah, that was kind of the, my first idea when I was tinkering around with what was going to happen in this book was that, okay, we'll have the religious aspect because that's, kind of the way historically speaking that people control people is through religion. Um, and that was the, the idea that we're going to have some, some sermons in here that are going to work to control people and kind of bring that in. I, so I know that in small towns, religion is pretty huge just kind of for the, The fellowship of it, like that's your day to day. If if you're a part of a church, you have a church family and a church community and there's a prayer chain that you call somebody on if there's a sadness or whatever. Like it becomes a huge portion of your life if that's what you're into. And so that that's an easy built in community to give kind of.
0: Is there any of your own? experience growing up or as an adult that's uh, informing this or is this just something that you wrote?
1: Not a lot. Okay. So kind of a a little yes, a little no. Um, I did grow up in a Christian family. Um, I don't consider myself Christian now. Not that that's important, but (laughs) that's where we are. But the church that I grew up in was actually kind of fine. And I know, like, I hear, you know, a lot of people have awful stories about that. And I totally respect that. And I know that that's true. Um, The one I grew up in was pretty mild. It was pretty mellow. Um, Nobody was really, you know, after me to change my ways or anything like that. Uh, And actually, I tried to do a little homage to that in the book, because I grew up in a Methodist church, which is whatever. And there's a point where somebody, the the church in in the book mainly is not a Methodist church. And there's a point where one character is like, hey, I'm thinking of leaving. I hear there's a nice little Methodist church down the road. And so that was a little thing. That was for my grandma there. So she can read the book and be like, well, she's not talking about us. We're not the terrible people, which is, again, a very Christian thing to think. (laughs) We're not the terrible people. It's the other ones. But yeah, and- By and large, there are um, a lot of people that I know and churches that I went to, like a friend's church or something, that was a very different experience. And it was a very like telling you you're going to hell every week and here's why you're going to hell. And it's like really frightening, sort of. So that was something that kind of informed that.
0: So I'm really two things. First of all, I'm really glad you mentioned that part about the like Methodist, the nice Methodist church, because if you didn't bring that up, that was literally the next thing I was gonna mention because (laughs) like that, it it honestly was like a refreshing kind of thing. And you might've put it in as an Easter egg to the family or whatever, but Mm -hmm. to me as a reader, I was like, this is a great kind of juxtaposition of like, to see the insanity of what's going on, knowing that like, if I was just in this other building five miles away, none of this would be going on was like really effective. So whether you meant it or not, like I thought that was like a really great part of it where it was just like, because often in storytelling, when you're in this situation where things become so extreme, you're just kind of like immersed in that and you don't get to think of the perspective of like, well, it's not always like this everywhere. And, And so that was a cool, um, it was honestly one of my favorite parts of the book was just someone just casually saying, like, we could just go to this other place.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> but that's that's very true. You know, you get immersed in what you've got going on and what your place is doing. And, like, this is the way. And then – but but genuinely, you go five miles down the road, there's a whole other place you could be going. And it's not going to be like that. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, I've and I've been watching not – exclusively but lately i feel like i've been watching more and more documentaries and cult documentaries
1: yeah
0: so uh, for anybody who's not aware you can like go to netflix and find like probably a dozen different sex cult documentaries that came out within the last like 12 months or whatever so they're uh, they're everywhere but like Mm -hmm. the whole thing is you you like you give yourself permission to do x And then X becomes normal. And then once X is normal, then Y seems like it's not as terrible as if like you hadn't been doing X. And so there's like, that's the whole thing about um, an organized kind of structure that, you know, people make you exist in is like, it's easy to go kind of off the deep end once you keep justifying this, then this, then this. And so I feel like you did a good job of uh, representing that in the book, too. Oh, thank you. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So uh, cults. The the other thing I one of the things I highlighted um, <laughs> was a line. There's a line in the book that, and I and I don't remember the context of it, but I just really love the line where it says, "Nothing good ever followed a visit from the Lord." <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't remember so. that at all, but I do <laughs> like that.
0: <laughs> Which that's interesting no but like it really fit the moment and i was like oh i'm highlighting this because this was really good so um yeah um i my background i uh, was raised non-religious and so i feel like sometimes i have trouble connecting with the religious aspect of a story because like um and i think maybe that's why that line jumped out to me is because like if you show me a church I'm never like, oh, this is the good guy of the story. Like, this it's is gonna never go well. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I and and probably that's pretty common for a lot of people with um with storytelling is like it's it's automatically the bad guy kind of.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um I
1: actually put like a weird church moment in Antioch too. And so I was <laughs> you haven't read it. But I was really worried, like people are gonna think that this is my thing. So I really kinda <laughs> have to get away from that. But it's not my thing. It's just, you know it's so well, evil.
0: But I'm the other kidding. thing <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I and I've I've actually kind of like evolved past that where um and even in your story, uh in your book, sorry, it's not that everybody is evil. No. Um it's very clear that some people made some bad choices a long time ago and that has perpetuated and it's kind of poisoned what otherwise might've been a fine place. So I feel like that's, that's how the story plays out.
1: Yeah. There's some great and lovely people there that I care about deeply. (laughs) (laughs) I I created a lot of people and I like them a lot. And that was one of my biggest things. I was like, man, I really hope people don't dislike this person or this other person (laughs) throughout the thing, Uh, which is a bizarre thing to think about, but, I, I was worried about
0: it for a while, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I think that you represented it well. like the structure of it is like,, um, and, and I think that the structure so the structure of it is, and I don't think we've spelled anything yet, but like um there for the most part, we see the people who want to do good and we and they just need help figuring out how to do that. And then yeah. there's just a couple people who are like, hey, you know, this is what it is and they're wrong. So I feel like you represent that. Well, I will say that. Okay. Good. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. Um, there's a moment specifically with, with Steve, who is pretty, pretty blameless for the most part in the book ish. Um, he's got his flaws, but like he means well and everything, but like, he's straight up told like you didn't do anything to stop this. Mm -hmm. And, um, that puts things into kind of stark relief about the idea of like inaction is as bad as like doing the bad thing, and um, that was something that I thought was um, really empower powerful, and important, uh, uh for the story as well, as well.
1: Yeah, that's kind of one of my, my favorite moments, too, because you can tell. You can tell I wrote it. But uh, Steve, it's an aha moment for Steve, too, because yeah. he, he's being told he's like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. And they're like, exactly. You didn't do yeah. anything. So that that was a big moment for him of realization um, that I hope is kind of a moment for other people as well.
0: Right. And it's that kind of guilt where it's like you don't understand that you're guilty because you don't understand like i'll tell a quick story um i had a friend all through um like junior high and high school who was like one of my closest friends who transitioned when uh when she was in her 30s i think and this was the first person I'd, i'd known who had you know transitioned um and it took me a long time like I was supportive the whole time and I loved yeah. this person. I loved her. And and like there was always, there was never a moment where I wasn't like, you know, like, please, you know, be, be the person that you are. But it was still like hard for me to reconcile um, things like I got, I got hung up on like, oh, my memory is of this person, not this person. And I couldn't figure out why am I wrong about this? I know I'm wrong, but I can't figure it out. It took me so long to realize that it was like, they were really that person the whole time, but like, they didn't, they didn't know how to say that. And so when I had that kind of like light bulb in my head, I was like, oh, I knew that something was off and I knew it wasn't something they did, but I knew that I was wrong and I couldn't figure out why. And I feel like we have some of those things too, where it's like, I'm not doing anything wrong, but I didn't do the right thing um
1: yeah
0: and so it's it's kind of as bad and I I won't say that I was a bad friend but like there was this kind of lingering like I know that something's off and I know that I need to figure it out and I just didn't know how so like um again like Steve was pretty blameless in the whole story but at the same time like Steve could have acted differently
1: right right like
0: in in ways where this is the most important person in your life why did you make that decision
1: yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. So,
0: we have, uh, we've talked this long without mentioning witches. Okay. And you're paneling about witches, right? So we might as well um, talk about the witch aspect of it. Uh, did you come to this with the idea of it specifically being witch related?
1: Um, no, I didn't. The uh, My initial idea was just um, a very human based in reality aspect. Um, And then I really got excited about the woods being around it. One of the things I like to do when I write is just take every possible idea I have and just mush it all up into one thing. Because who knows, I may never write another book, I would need to get it out there. Uh, So I was like, but... So I have this idea and it's very based in reality and it's real people doing things, but also what if the woods were haunted? So that, that's my, uh, that's my synopsis for the book. I did it. Uh, So that, that came later, but it was very, it was all going to be very metaphorical, you know, witch stuff. And then it got a little more uh, supernatural.
0: Um. Did it, did you feel like it needed to go there or was just cool to go there? It was just cool. Yeah. I thought <laughs> so. <laughs> it was just a lot um, of fun to do <laughs> there. Well, um, uh, another kind of, hmm, and this might be, if this spoils things, we just won't, we won't go into this part, but, um, another parallel I'm drawing between, um, that Cassandra cause, uh, um salt grows heavy and this is the whole idea that like um and we talked about it when I interviewed Cassandra was the whole idea that you know um people always tell you to be the better person and not not do not respond in kind not do violence for violence no eye for an eye kind of thing um but it's so um i find that disingenuous when like the, the when the happy ending is that um i was the better person and you know whatever it's not satisfying but to see like i'm gonna use the word rage because the word rage absolutely appeared multiple times in the book when you see that rage and when you see someone finally um deciding this is as much as i am you know gonna take and now i'm gonna show you my power i think that that's super satisfying so again if that spoils too much like we don't yeah. have to keep it in the episode but like that was one of the things about that book that i liked and when i saw it in here i was like yes please take me there and and like the way that the book ends was like i'm so happy because i was kind of fingers crossed the whole time that this is where it was going
1: oh good i like to hear that um no I, you know there were a lot of ways where we could take that and there's the We can uh, cop out a little bit, I think, is to not fully embrace that rage moment, to not give that to, you know, yeah, uh, turn the other cheek is an idea, I guess, but (laughs) there's only so much cheek turning you can do until it's just like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. We're going to do something different. So yeah. I definitely wanted to go full in on, on rage. <laughs> there.
0: Good. I'm, and I honestly feel like, and um, I think this is the time for it, you know, uh, yeah. in a way, uh, and I won't go into social or political or, or whatever, but I feel like um, that we're kind of in a, in an era of letting the bullies get away with stuff just doesn't make sense anymore. Mm mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's where I'm at. It's a uh, w- we're going to make things right. And maybe the only way to make things right is to do some bad stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I well and I'll tell you what I'm going to take I'm going to take you on a little tour to like Rob okay. in the eighth grade um, because this is what um, this is what it makes me think of. Uh, there's moments in your life where you get pushed and pushed and pushed. Finally you push back and then, you know, there's a result of it. And I was always a very nice, timid kid. I was, I wasn't necessarily bullied, but I definitely wasn't the bully. And um, I was, it was like eighth grade and I was standing up from my desk and this kid was walking past me and he had been like, kind of like he picked on me a, a bunch over a long period of time. And, For some reason that day, I just wasn't having it. And when I was standing up from my desk, this kid pushed me and said something to me. And I just pushed back without even thinking. I just pushed this kid back. And he like, like, like flew back and slid like across the floor. And it was that moment that I realized, oh, I'm like twice the size of this kid. Why am I letting this kid push me around? And then I was like, oh, I have power that I never really thought about. And Surprisingly, no one tried to bully me after that, like after that very public display of me like literally whipping a kid across the room. And then I was like, there's something to this because I wasn't wrong. This kid's been wrong for a long time. And when I stood up, suddenly there's a different understanding of how things are. So um, that's the kind of thing that, that I think about with, with this type of story that you told.
1: Have you ever watched The Last Unicorn?
0: Oh, probably a super long time ago, but I couldn't tell you anything about it.
1: Well, for all my last unicorn folks out there, it's the, you know, the unicorns were in the ocean forever and they could have come out anytime they wanted, but they were afraid. And it took a big catalyst (laughs) moment for them to come out of the ocean. Finally, (laughs) it's just, it's just like in Jurassic Park where those raptors could have got out at any moment, but they were biting their head. No, I'm kidding. It's not like Jurassic Park.
0: You, so All right. So we're going to have to pause and acknowledge this because um, I don't remember exactly what you said on uh, social media, but you, you tweeted or whatever about doing this podcast and you said that you were getting ready to talk a lot about Jurassic Park. So where does that come from? Was that random or is there a reason for that?
1: No, I love Jurassic Park. Okay. So one of my trade secrets when I used to do a podcast, which was many years ago, was if I, A, did not read the book, or B, did not like the book, I would somehow try and bring up Jurassic Park as much as possible, because that was something that I was like, we can just talk about that. Everybody's seen Jurassic Park. This is gonna be fun now, and that's my way of having a good time on the podcast if I didn't prepare or, for whatever reason, didn't enjoy what we were doing uh so there's a little secret if i ever interviewed you and talked about Jurassic Park, <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you know she didn't like your book or you didn't read it
1: Jurassic park is my favorite movie in the world and i think just about everything can be uh tracked back to that one way or another i can't remember exactly what it was but when i was promoting antioch some Max had me write something like a little blurb for his newsletter that he does. And it was all about Jurassic Park three, I think. And I was like, I hope this is what you wanted. And he's like, it's perfect. No worries. It's perfect.
0: Yeah. So. He would, he would be the right audience for that. Kind of <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <for> <laughs> That's so correct. here, so then the logical question is, did you put any Easter eggs in either of your books or anything that have to do with Jurassic Park? Now no. that, now that I know that, It would make sense that you had, but it sounds like no.
1: No, I really didn't. But if given a not long enough timeline, I can tell you that I did. Like all of the women in the book in Conjuring the Witch are the dinosaurs, obviously. And then (laughs) uh, the men in the church are the uh, people who are capturing the dinosaurs. Boom. Done. Jurassic Park. Call me Spielberg.
0: (laughs) It's unassailable. It's unassailable.
1: (laughs) It's perfect.
0: So then you must have caught that my response, clever girl. Clever girl. I was like, there's no better way for me to respond than saying clever girl.
1: That is, it was perfect. And I said something about it to my husband and he's like, I don't know what that means. And I was like, Uh, what? So then I actually acted it out in the living room, the whole scene where <laughs> Laura Turner is running for the place because she's got to flip the power back on. Robert he has got his gun. It's the whole thing. It was great. I, <clears throat> we having fun times here.
0: If, <laughs> if, if I didn't know how great of a husband and man he was, I'd be like, you got to find someone new. But Sean is a great, he's a great dude, so uh, he gets a pass on, on not knowing that quote.
1: Yeah, he's he said he's only seen it like twice, and I feel like that's a failing on my part now. Like, what what have I been doing?
0: Yeah, that's on you.
1: That's on it you. is, it is. And he enjoyed my recreation of it, so that'll be <laughs> fine. <laughs>
0: um, a random, because uh, we have to acknowledge uh, Stephen Graham Jones at least once while we're talking. Yeah. Um, so we're both wearing Stephen Graham Jones related shirts for anybody who's listening to audio, and not watching video. Um, in one of the many, so I, you know, over the course of 10 years of doing a podcast, I've talked to Stephen Graham Jones several times and it was only, I think in the most recent one where it came out that he's a big fan of the show justified,
1: which oh, is like really? one,
0: of, it's one of my favorite shows. And like the reaction I had, it came up somehow. And I was like, I'm going to fall into this hole of talking about justified with Stephen Graham Jones, which would be amazing. But like, Part of me was like, why didn't I know this earlier? Because we would have been talking about Justified this whole time. So
1: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like, to hear um, that he's a fan of Justified. I'm like, yeah, I believe that. You're not making yeah. that up.
0: <laughs> of course he is. Of course he <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, like, in my mind, I'm like, do I start a podcast with him where we just, like, talk about each episode? Or he wouldn't oh. do that. He's too busy for that kind of thing.
1: Oh, my gosh. But what a <sighs> – I I don't think he
0: sleeps. (laughs) I got to tell you, and um, like, he's like the nicest dude too.
1: Oh, he's great. He's a wonderful guy. Love him. Absolutely love him. But he's just, you know, I interviewed him once when I podcasted and and his brain is just firing on all cylinders all the time. He's always got um, things going on. Like he is just thinking, thinking, thinking. He's got one of those brains. It's great. I love it.
0: Um, yeah, it, it you can tell that. So there's types of people in the world. There's people who just see the world and accept it. And there's people who see the world and try to interpret it. And that guy is always trying to figure out what's going on. And like yeah. thinking about it and like thinking about meaning. And just hearing him talk about any random like um, concept of storytelling. It's like this guy's really put some thought into this. Here's the nice thing about Stephen Graham Jones though. And this is a type of person I love more than anything is you can tell that he is an incredible fan of horror, Mm -hmm. obviously slashers, but like you can tell he's got this kind of like childlike enthusiasm for um, that stuff. And that's, that informs and builds like his, it it helps his natural talent to make things make storytelling. So yeah, nothing but respect for that dude. Yeah.
1: And I want to, definitely point out that
0: we did not plan to both wear Stephen Graham Jones
1: t-shirt. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> so point. This is totally- A very happy coincidence.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is because Rob did laundry last week and, and you know, it's, um it's clean. Aww.
1: You
0: know. um, <laughs> so, uh, but all right, so we had a little aside, let's get back to your story because I'm not done picking it apart uh, okay. with you. Let's talk about, so it's called Conjuring the Witch. There's a witch element to it, but like there is you it's hard. It would be hard to argue that there's not a haunting element to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I feel like that part of it really fills out a lot of the creepiness of, of the book, Mm -hmm. the, the kind of like the way that the, witch element of the book manifests to the characters. Um, So where'd that come from?
1: Um, yeah, so there is a big, almost haunted house vibe to some of it. Um, and that's some of my favorite parts. I'll say, so there's the character Steve. He's kind of one of our main protagonists. And while writing the book, I almost felt guilty because every bad thing seems to happen to Steve. guy. <laughs> He's just like, everything is sticking to him. Not everything, but, you know, a good ton of stuff gets to happen to him. And it was just how do we bring, because the the opening line of the book is there are witches in the woods. So how do we bring the witches out of the woods in a way that everyone, not just those people that are brave enough to, or bold enough to go out into the woods can see them, but the people who are, are just out here, how can I make them see it? How can I give them something to look at? And, so it it manifests in kind of a yeah a little supernatural little hauntings here and there, um, a little spooky stuff to the point where and it kind of goes to where, what we were talking about earlier where your point of view becomes your kind of tunnel vision where if I just would move up down the road a little bit I wouldn't yep. see it this way. Um, it, it makes the hauntings almost normal to some of the people that they're happening to. To the point where it's like, why wouldn't you just not do this stuff? It's yeah. like, well, what what else are you going to do at this point? This is your house, and there's stuff going on.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, especially Steve. Yeah. Um, that some of the like the best parts of um, there's there's a there's a part where um, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this it's harder and harder for him to kind of feel at home, I guess mm-hmm. is like the, is like the vague way I'll say that. Um, and that was just so effective, like, because there was such a resignation to the way that, that perspective kind of played out where it was like exactly what you're saying in my mind. I'm like, just you just go somewhere else. <laughs> but like, there's a there's a reason where it's like oh you know obviously that that sounds like the logical thing to do but there's a reason where it's like well he's he's not doing that so yeah um, yeah, yeah. Um, another thing that I thought was really well executed was um there's an element of time I guess to the book where um, it's not that time is not normal, but there's, um, we, the, you might catch something out of time as, as part of the story. If I, if I read it, yeah, if I read it right. Um, and I feel like that was another effective way to, to throw some creepiness onto the book. So, um, is that a Jessica original? Was there anything that, uh, um, inspired that?
1: I think that was just a Jessica original for the most part. It just, uh, something that kind of came out to me. I'll kind of a fun thing actual time in the book was a real problem for me I hate day of the week math in writing because I don't yeah I don't write every day like they tell you you should (laughs) so like I'm coming back to it a month later I'm like oh my god what day of the week was it because Oh, yeah. Because yeah. the church schedule is very rigid. Like, church is on Sunday, and women's group is on Tuesday, and fellowship is on Wednesday. So, I had to know all those things. And uh, in the first round of edits that Max sent back to me, there's these big things like, this cannot be what day it is. What is happening? So, I had to go back and go, oh, God. And I have to get paper <laughs> notes and write, okay, Monday, Tuesday, and kind of figure all that out. Uh, but as far as the wonky parts in time or things kind of appearing out of their own time, that that was just uh, fun. That was just a little fun to have with the people. And, and it kind of um, helped me to show things that had happened. You know, there's there's a long history happening in the woods. And so to show that to everybody again, this was my way of of showing that to people.
0: Right. Because otherwise there would have to be like interludes or cutscenes or whatever to like another period of time or whatever.
1: Flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody Um, knows
0: that. No, that's good. I think that um, I think that using doing it the way you did established kind of the longevity of the problem. um, But, you know, in the in the first couple acts or whatever of the story, but like it just threw that creepiness all over the place, too. So um, it it was helpful for that, I, I would say.
1: Yeah, so. my main goal was to scare my husband and make Max laugh, and so those were those were the things when writing it that I try to think about, like what would creep, <laughs> what would creep out my husband and what would make Max laugh, because those are two very different things.
0: <laughs> is that is that why the husband in the book gets? Put through the ringer so much was he like uh, an analog for, for the, you know, the husband in the book Steve? Oh no
1: no <laughs> no not really <laughs> but, but, but yeah <laughs> oh, sure uh, <clears throat> I didn't really even realize that I was doing so much to Steve until it I kind of got towards the end and I was like oh man one thing after another keeps happening this poor guy oh well
0: Yeah.
1: what are you going to do
0: what can you do <laughs> Um, but that makes me think too, uh, going not to go back to our best friend, Stephen Graham Jones too much, but I feel like I've heard him say in the past that like with multiple things he's written and maybe fucking who knows, maybe all of them, um, he writes about stuff that scares him. Like he's exploring a personal fear. Um, and I know that probably not everybody does that, but was there any of that for you? Were you kind of like It seems like so far in our conversation, we've explored that there's, there's topics that you feel passionate about that we were exploring, but was there any fear that you were kind of uncovering in this as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. So I don't think it would be a shocker, a spoiler. So when we talk about rage in the book, it's very strongly like a feminist rage. Um, And we're in, you know, kind of scary political times uh, for women. And so there was a lot of that kind of fear informing it. The idea that, um, well, you know, I can say one of the things that this particular church talks about is that women should be subservient to their husbands, and that you know they need to take the back seat, sort of, and they're just there to support the men. And so that was very much a like, where where are we in this country right now? What kind of stuff is happening? Is that where we're going? Um, so yeah, that, that was definitely kind of looking at what might scare me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, that came through for sure. <laughs> that definitely came through. <laughs> and then I just thought about, um, cause it's so foreign to me. Um, I back to a long time ago, I went to a Southern Baptist wedding and, um, the, the ceremony part was just completely bad shit where it was like um, it was like it was almost it was less of like a, hey, you love each other and you're going to be happy together. It was more of like, OK, now that he caught you, here's the rules. Right. And, um, the person that I was dating at the time was crazy, you know, liberal. And and, and the reason we were there is because it was her, her family member. And that part of the family was just really that way. And and I'm sitting here and I'm like, there. she's leaving. She's going to walk out. There's no way she's going to get through this whole ceremony because this is crazy. But it is very much like, here's the rules, woman. Like, mm-hmm. you're not a person. You're like property.
1: Yeah. It's just one step removed from, well, I mean, never mind. I was going to say one step removed from a dowry, but your father gives you away at the altar. So, yeah. <laughs> You still are.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's my thought. And, like, then I felt – I had this, like, naive – I had this guilt about being the naive guy where I was, like, okay, the rage is tied to the bullshit that's going on. Not, not automatically tying, like, fear is the absolute first response that should be going on with, like, what's what some of the changes that are happening in our country. And, like, because I don't have, you know – Uh, you know, ovaries, right? Uh, you know, like it it doesn't occur to me that fear is the first response, not necessarily the only response, but the first response. And so like, I need to read stuff like this because it's a perspective that I need to be aware of. And I need to like, you know, uh, I guess just be aware of and and understand better.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, they talk about fight or flight response. And I think a lot of it is both you first have your, your flight, your fear response, and then maybe then you can turn around and have the fight. And I think a lot of the characters in my book have that they have the, no, we don't, we don't want this. We're going to run from this. We're going to hide from this. We're going to look everywhere, but at it. And then it's like, okay, I can't get away from it now. Now it's time to make a decision.
0: Yeah. Well, I have to say that I love where the, what is it? So it's the protagonist and then two other women in the church. I think I love where the three of them kind of end up at the end of it. Um, yeah. Is great. <laughs> oh, thank um, you. Yeah. It, it's very good. So, um, it, it, and to me, does it, and like, tell me if I'm off on this, but it feels like, um, and this could just be me reading into it or informing the story with my own feelings about things. Um, and, man, I'm being very serious about this. We can be goofy and fun, too. But um, sometimes we have, like, a feeling or an instinct or a, a a way of being, but we just need to translate it into something. And, like, maybe sometimes we find the wrong thing to translate it into, and that has bad consequences. Like, we're, we're looking for the church to tell us what this means, and it's the wrong meaning. But maybe because of that, that's the catalyst for us really figuring it out. And so like that bad thing took us to a better place.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Totally. I have always been fascinated with religious religion, but like the mythology around religion. Um, Even as a little kid, there would be these documentaries about like the um, Gnostic gospels, or some so it's the ones that didn't make the cut to get into the bible <laughs> right, and so but it's like okay but why why did who did, made the decision that this story was the one that was super for real true and this other one was like now nah, we're gonna toss that out and so yeah those kinds of ideas of you know who who decided that this was the path who decided that you were the person to take us on that path you know wh- where are those decisions coming yeah, it, that's an interesting topic to me. I like to look at that sort of stuff. I like to question, "What? Why is it this way?" I think that's fun.
0: <laughs> no, I, I yeah, I totally agree. And I love that I basically get to spend time picking people's brains about like the stories they write, like because it's exploring things like that, and that is just the most satisfying thing in the world. Um, if so, aside from creeping out your husband. What was, you said there was two goals. It was creeping out your husband and there was, what was the other one?
1: Making Max laugh.
0: Making Max laugh. So (laughs) like, besides those goals that you started out with, um, is there something that you'd like for people to get from this book in general, aside from just enjoying reading it? Is there like a, is there like a, like a hopefulness for you of like, Hey, if you read this, I hope that you get that I'm going for this. Or is it more just like, you know what? I hope you enjoy the experience.
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, I hope they enjoy the experience, but yeah, I hope that they get um, a curiosity from it, a, a desire to question a desire to look deeper at things that maybe you've just always accepted. I did. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess I've always kind of been that way, so maybe it was just me being like, yeah, she's on the right track, but... Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah hey, whatever.
0: Sure. Um, then uh, we can't... This is something I always suffered very horribly from with um, podcasting in the past that I refuse to do in this case because the fucking cover is so good. Oh, my God. So, like, Antioch has an incredible cover. Conjuring the Witch has an incredible cover. And I cannot... Like, it. The the whole don't judge a book, but fuck that this cover is great. And like people, even if you don't intend to read it, buy it because it's beautiful, but like also read it because it's absolutely worth reading. But like, can we talk about that cover a little bit? Like, did you have yep. any input or was this like, um, how did that go?
1: Um, so the same artist did both of my covers, Matthew Revere, Um And he is amazing. I'll tell you, It's funny because the Antioch cover, when I first saw it, I was like, "Mm, I don't know if that's going to (laughs) work. And then I kind of had to talk myself up for it because Max was like, you know, Max is very give me your input. Tell me what you want kind of thing. And so I was like, "Mm, I'm not sure. And we played with it a little. And then I was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's good. And people love the cover. And so I was like, Okay, I'm really glad that I just trusted. So I'm not an artist in that way. I don't know. I can't make an art. So I tr- <laughs> I trust the artists to do that. And so then when we were doing Conjuring the Witch, we obviously wanted him to do it because that cover was so amazing. And we're like, can you play with the colors again? Because Antioch is so bright. Can can we do some colors? And it was like, yeah, if you put them next to each other, they look really pretty together too. <laughs> it just really. That's true.
0: Yeah.
1: They're you're going to have a really lovely Jessica Leonard collection on your shelf one day because they look great together. Um, No, that was the very first thing that I saw for it. Um, Max asked me if I had any ideas and I had a few little things that I kind of sent over and that came back to me and I said, yeah, that's the one that's perfect. Although my name was misspelled the first time, so we fixed that.
0: i'm assuming your last name
1: yeah my last name i I can't remember what it was it was missing a vowel somewhere but (laughs) we fixed that
0: um perfect yeah um and i've always really appreciated his covers um Mm -hmm. i think i first became aware of him doing book covers like back when broken river books did like their kind of initial stuff like yeah stephen graham jones had that Lisa, my scars book, which has an awesome cover. Like he's been doing awesome stuff forever and a lit reactor connection because he,
1: yeah,
0: he does lit reactor classes and stuff too, I believe. Um, so yeah, the covers are just phenomenal for the video, for the people who are on the video, you see them right now, or at least you've been looking at the conjuring the witch one the whole time. Um, and I'll throw Antioch on there too, just so like, you can see it's gorgeous. Um, that's gotta be satisfying in itself knowing that like you've got something, going out that like honors I guess the story in a way um because I feel like that really kind of conjures the vibe of of what's going on Mm -hmm. um and then I have to give you credit for for something um before we move into our Jurassic Park discussion part of the, the podcast where um the title means something in the story um in like a very significant way, uh, definitely toward the end. Um, but I think it, kind of creeps around earlier, but then toward the end, it's like, okay, this is absolutely why this book is called that. So did that, did the, did the title come to you later? Like where did the title come to you in the process of writing this
1: later? It it was definitely much later. Um, I had a working title, which was just witches in the woods forever so everything was just w-i-t-w on it on all of my stuff but i knew like for antioch i kind of just copped out on the title because i just named it after the town uh so there it didn't have anything really to do with whatever so i was like i want to really give this title a shot this time but yeah towards the end um like you said when it really reveals itself as to how that comes about i was like oh i think this is it i think this is the one so that yeah. was a nice, that was a nice moment of discovery.
0: And I'm assuming everybody was cool with it right away, right?
1: Oh yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: <laughs> Good. Um, yeah great title. Great. Um, great cover. I love it when a title, so like, here's the thing, when you read this book, um, you're going to get to a point where you're like, Oh, that's why this is called what it is. But it also kind of like encapsulates a lot of the meaning of the story in a way. So that's got, that's like a lightning strike. I can't imagine that happens very often where like the title is so significant to what's going on in the book.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if it does or not, but I'm really happy with it. I I was very pleased to have that kind of moment and I was definitely looking for it. Um, but yeah, it kind of just struck.
0: Good. No, I think it works. I think it works great. Um, do you have any final thoughts about Conjuring the Witch before I, I grill you about the Jurassic Park series?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs>
0: um, and I didn't plan any of this. So, all right. So before we move away from that, I feel like everybody should. I don't do reviews anymore because here's the thing. Reviews are are subjective. I could review a book and say it's great and then someone could read it on that basis and decide, oh, this is not for me. So I, I just don't do that anymore um so like if you've listened to this conversation and you feel like oh this is interesting these are these are themes I want to explore or um you know that type of thing absolutely I 100% recommend this book I think it was um great and then I was kind of scolding myself for not having um gotten to Antioch you know um so uh, uh you know I'm this gonna one's get to that better. one too and jump okay. in there <laughs> <laughs> but it is my recommendation that, um, if you listen to our conversation and it sounds like it's your thing, you should absolutely do that. Um, it is available when,
1: uh, May 2nd,
0: May 2nd. So, um, I try to do these episodes a little bit, at least ahead of the release of the book so that there, you know, there's opportunity for pre-orders and stuff like that. Um, or like you can check with your library and say, Hey, please order this for me, that kind of thing. Um, so I think it's absolutely a story that's worth, worth checking out. I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, I was I was messaging with Max. So anybody who's been listening is like, who's, who the fuck is Max go back an episode. Um, or he's like the guy who runs perpetual motion to machine publishing who, you know, published this book. So I was messaging with Max and, um, He's like, what'd you think of the book? And I sent him a whole bunch of stuff, which I can send you. I, I, I don't have any problem sending you as well.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and he's like, those are all great things. <laughs> so good. that's how I feel about the book. Um, Jurassic Park, where where does this come from? So I, I'm going to tell you a cute little story before we, So because yeah. I have a Jurassic Park moment. So when Jurassic Park came out, was it like 93 or something like that? 92? Somewhere. Um, we're going to look it up because this is important. Okay, good. Jurassic Park was 1993. So doing the math on that, I was born in 1978. So I was 15. And I went to see it in the theater for the first time with a girl who I just was totally in love with. And, um, like a 15 year old's love, um, who I, who I was not dating. And, um, So I go to see this movie. It's a great movie, but there was, like, a couple of moments where we're sitting next to each other, and, like, in the scary moments where, like, a jump thing happens, she, like, grabbed onto my arm. So, like, there's this blissful moment of, like, this person who's, like, the world to me, like, grabbed onto me for safety in this, like, movie. So, like, forever, you know, this is, like, almost 30 years later now, and I'm, like, I will always remember that that's, like, and I ended up eventually dating this person, but... Um, so maybe it was Jurassic park. It could be Jurassic park could be responsible for that relationship. Uh, (laughs) so that's my little, that's, that's the first thing I think of when I think of Jurassic park, but why is it so significant to you that, um, that it it has shaped your life? So, uh,
1: so you said 93, so I was probably 10 when it came out, I was born into 82, but it was December. Um, so (laughs) very formative time. What you have to understand about where I grew up is that we did not have cable. Um, We had a VCR, but we were not wealthy people. So we would get, you know, some VHSs, but I would watch them into the ground because that was all there was to watch. (laughs) Our first movies, we had Cinderella, which was for me and Top Gun, which was for everybody else, I guess. Um, (laughs) So when I was in kindergarten, first grade, Top Gun was my favorite movie. I could recite every line of Top Gun. It's right up there with Jurassic Park. It's not, I'm not saying it's the best movie, but it's one of my favorites because I watched it every day during the summer because that was kind of all there was. And I was like, what are they doing? Great stuff. Uh, so Jurassic Park, kind of the same way. I, I loved it when I saw it because I have always loved dinosaurs. Okay. Like Uh, all good and normal children, I love dinosaurs. And I had, you know, a book called Dinosaur Time and we'd go through that great stuff. And, but seeing them for the first time, like seeing those little dinosaurs, not on the big screen, didn't go to the theater, just on my little screen. It was so magic. And it's never lost that magic. Like the effects in that movie are so good even today. So to see that first Jurassic Park and that moment where, they the lake, right? They pull up to the little lake in their Jeep and Grant takes off his glasses and then, you know, jaws drop and then they span up and then the music goes, you know, all of that is so fucking cool. Man. <laughs> I love it. Um, and then when the dinosaurs attack, very scary. I really like to get scared. I have, always, I get scared. Like I was the kid that got made fun of in, At sleepovers, because I'm like watching through my fingers while they're watching Pet Cemetery or whatever, and I I have nightmares and I can't deal with it. Um, But I definitely learn to embrace that as I get older. Like it's cool that I get scared at scary movies. That's what they're for. That's what they're supposed to do is scare me. Mm -hmm. Good for me. I have the correct emotions. (laughs) But so that was very scary. And then the second one, um, I read the book. I read the lost world before I watched the movie. And I was like, it was way over my head. It's so scientific,
0: but I was like,
1: this is great. This is going to be great. And then the movie was like, not as great, but it's still pretty. Okay. And then the third one is just a horror movie. And that's what I like. It is just straight a horror movie. I'm terrified of birds. That's a secondary fact about me. (laughs) Uh, So in the third one, there's the scene they're in a giant like bird cage, basically, and a pterodactyl like walks (laughs) towards them on a bridge. Horrifying. I I would rather be dead than have that happen to me. So yeah, those those are great formative times for me. I I love dinosaurs and I love being scared, and it's just just a timeless, timeless movie.
0: That's a, that's awesome. Uh, you actually reminded me of um, a conversation I had very recently about Jurassic Park um, with a friend of mine who just came over and was hanging out and um, his whole take. So did you read the original book? The first book? Yeah,
1: yeah, I did. Yeah. La- much later, but yeah, I did.
0: Yeah. So he, he was talking about how he read the book before going to see the movie and Obviously, there's there's differences between the two, but, like, he was saying, I don't know why more people don't read the book, because the book is fucking amazing, mm-hmm. um, and it's just got so much more than the movie, um, but, like, he loves the movie, too, obviously, so um, I have not read any of the Jurassic Park. I haven't read either of those books, but um that was an interesting perspective, too, which was, like, if you fucking liked that, there's... Even more to be explored when you read the books.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, there absolutely is, and it, like I said, a lot of it was over my head when I read it, but it's it's exciting and it's scientific and it's dinosaurific. So (laughs) everything I can I can do, and I cannot tell you how much it broke my heart that the last one, the 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 world one that they just did, the last world one, it was terrible. It was so yeah. bad, and yeah. I I was so depressed. Really bad time.
0: Yeah. Um. I, well, I mean, you could point to a low point. I think it was the third one where doesn't Alan in the airplane dream that a raptor <laughs> is saying his name? And he
1: says his name, yes. Yeah. I don't see anything wrong but with that.
0: I guess if you were Alan Grant... <laughs> It would be totally normal to have a dream where a raptor was trying to wake you up by saying your name. Yeah. So um, it just it was sh- kind of sh- schlocky on the, on, on the movie. <laughs> it, it, it makes sense in the context of the story, but it just didn't play. I don't think it played well.
1: It doesn't um, even really make all that much sense, but yeah, no, I give that one a pass because it has the very scary dinosaurs in it.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, So you got your Jurassic Park moment, um, which I was not planning, but I figured I couldn't not let you talk about Jurassic Park, which, yeah, it really holds up like like it holds up as a story. It It holds up from a special effects perspective. Um, The reason that it even came up in conversation was because um, my friend wanted to see how good the speakers were that I had connected to my television. And um, he's like, just play Jurassic Park. Like, so is his first thought was like play Jurassic Park. So we did some of like the running around crazy dinosaur moments. And he was like, yeah, they're pretty good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome.
0: Um, (laughs) All right. Shifting gears.
1: Okay.
0: What? uh, So like we've talked about your book and I've I've said awesome things about it because there are, (laughs) because I really enjoyed it. I, I really liked it a lot. What um, are you reading anything right now that you're excited about? Or is there authors that are currently um, existing in your world that you're excited about that you want to talk about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I had just said I was reading Jack Jim's currently. um, And I can't think of the name of it. Uh, My Only Wife, I think is the title. Uh, Something wife. think it's my only wife it's in the other room uh but that one is really good it's not I wouldn't call it a horror or at least not up until this point it's very much like a a sinking drama like a sad fucking what (laughs) man but it's great it's it's a really lovely book um real recently so I don't when I'm writing I don't really read much because I I have this thing where I'm terrified. I'm going to start mimicking what other people sound like when I do it. Yeah. Which I've been told just to get over it, but that's a tough one. I'm afraid to. Uh, So I have not read a whole lot. um, Really recently, but I did read below by Laurel Hightower and that came out through Max's press through ghoulish. Um, It's a super quick read and it's super good. I love that book. Um, she has a way of making you feel so, so sad and so, so scared all at the same time. And that's really a special gift. So really big shout out to that one.
0: So conjuring the witch is actually, I found it to be a, a pretty quick read too. So um, I read it in two sittings. Once I was um, hanging out with my girlfriend and we we're just kind of like chilling. And I was like, I'm going to get crack this book. And I read like the first 20%. And then I, um, the next time I started reading, I finished it. So I feel like it's got a pretty accessible pace. Um, And uh, then I was thinking like for, for podcasting when you're talking about books where you have to read a book and then talk to a person and everything um, pace is like really important (laughs) because like, if it takes me like a week to read a book, that's not good. So I've, I've recently, I've been trying to convince myself that I need to start reading more novellas. And I think it's because they're just not as many pages, not necessarily because there's something magical about novellas. Right. Um, But that's where I'm kind of like I'm at in my life is that I'm trying to cheap out on what I read just to like um, not spend so much time reading. But holy shit, there are some great novellas, um, you know, that have been coming out for a long time. But like recently I feel like I'm just so excited about, I'm going to say one more time, the salt grows heavy because I feel like there's, there's, um, parallel themes in both of those, um, Cassandra Kaw. Um, and then like, I keep hearing Tor Nightfire, um, which is like their horror, uh, imprint is going nuts with putting out novellas now. So I feel like novellas for me are going to be, um, not as overlooked, um, as they have been in the past. Um, so, but I think maybe that's just, I need to tell myself, stop being such a baby and read full, full size books.
1: (laughs) No, I think that's great. I think, um, short books and long titles are really having a moment right now.
0: Right. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm talking to, uh, one of the people, I'm talking to Eric LaRocca in, um, (laughs) in May and, um, it's for everything that darkness eats and that's his first novel but i have two of his, his um, story collections i think yeah short story collections or, or novellas or whatever um and yeah he he can't make a title that's less than like six words so you're dead on
1: yeah it, it's it's definitely heavy to thing. and i remember 10 years ago we'll say I would come across a book that had a very long title and I'm like, what are you doing? Shorten that. That's dumb. And now it's very yeah. in vogue. It's very a thing. So yeah, like, well, they were just ahead of their time.
0: Yeah. I think back in the day it was J. David Osborne. Yeah. That's like, exactly uh, who
1: I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, what's the one by the time we leave here, we'll be friends or time.
1: low down death, right. Easy.
0: Low down death, right. Easy. Yeah. He was doing the good titles. Um, yeah, it's really a thing. It's really a thing right now. I think mm-hmm. you're absolutely right about that. Um, everything the darkness eats. Yeah, I'm looking at, so you can't see this, but on my wall is just a ton of post-it notes with like oh. author names and and books. And Cassandra Ka has one with Richard Kadri coming out later this year called The Dead Take the A-Train, which I think is an awesome title.
1: Yeah, I like
0: that. Um, yeah, there's some, here's the thing. You, I, I feel like the longer you uh, appreciate books and, like, get, like, immersed into, like, a world of reading and especially, like, into a genre, the more amazing people that you suddenly discover. And it's like, fuck, I have to read, like, 50 books a year just to, like, not fall behind. So,
1: yeah,
0: yeah there's tons of post-its all over my wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you ever do podcasting again, or are you pretty much in your lane with the writing thing?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I'm just in my lane. I enjoyed it in the time, but it consumes so much of your time, if that's not oh, yeah. your main thing. So I always wanted to be writing, and I thought, oh, that you know, this is going to be great. I'll, I'll meet so many great people. I'm going to do so much. And then I wrote almost nothing the whole time I was podcasting because I was constantly – immersed in other people's words and other people's books. So I was like, okay, I to. so, and then as soon as I stopped, I was like, I'm never reading another book unless I absolutely want to read it because <laughs> I had a co-host, yeah. you know? And so it yep. would be like, Oh, this one's one of her books she brought in. And I'm like, I don't want to read this book. <laughs> and so I wouldn't and then I'd talk about Jurassic Park. Just kidding. No, 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 no.
0: She's not kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. Um, and I think that because I have no aspirations to write things yeah, that kind of works for me. Cause <laughs> like, helps. this is my outlet. This is my thing. This is my creative deal, but yeah, I have to imagine. So like Max Booth, we've talked about so much, oh my gosh. this guy runs the publishing company, mm-hmm. uh, writes books, um, does his it, multiple podcasts. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's doing this book festival, um, talk about really over committing yourself. I think the only benefit for him is that like his wife is like in the same world.
1: Yeah. She, um, she's his partner in it. So or, that helps. Yeah. But uh,
0: yeah. Soon to be wife, I guess.
1: Soon to be wife. Yeah. They're yeah. getting married <laughs> at the ghoulish book festival, which is pretty <laughs> amazing. I'm told there, there will be cake. So I'm pretty happy. Uh, that great. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know how he does all that he does. Because you know he's also got. I will make the excuse over and over, like, well, I have a, I have a child. I have a, my husband. He also has those things. So I'm like, well, you're yes. just better than me. I don't know, Max. You're just doing it better. But he, he definitely, he's very committed to it. He's very committed.
0: <laughs> we, we all have our lane. Yeah. And um, <laughs> he's in his all lane, of them. His lane is all of them. Yeah, apparently. But like, here's what I'll say stay in your lane because i really enjoyed conjuring the witch and um are you uh is there another project on the horizon or or is there a break in between them right now
1: yeah so no nothing like announced coming out or anything like that i'm working on writing another one now which my my husband really wanted me to do something with a monster in it so we're seeing how that goes
0: (laughs) cool it might look forward to
1: might be metaphorical monsters we'll see (laughs)
0: The monster's name is Sean. (laughs) Awesome. Well, um, that's, uh, that's, that's, we did a great job, I think, in, um, in breaking this down and talking also about dinosaurs. So um, thank you so much for, for taking some time and joining me.
1: Ah, well, thank you for having me. This has been great. A dream.
0: (laughs) A dream. Calm down.
1: (laughs) No. Okay. (laughs) Um,